Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is God's word. Danny. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask as a, as a covenant community that we would please you, Lord, by making much of you. You would give us the grace uh, to be filled with your spirit, uh, to be walking in your ways, uh, to be hearing from you. We pray that as your word opened up, you would speak to us. You would speak through us, Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask that you bring glory to Christ uh, by using uh, my words, Lord. We pray that apart from you, Lord, I'm just a man sharing whatever. But, Lord, we, we know with you empowering me and empowering this body and giving us grace, Lord, uh, you might be exalted. So we pray for that. We pray that all of our flesh and all of our rights, Lord, would decrease and you would increase. So give us the grace not to hinder the beautiful plan you have for us individually and us as a, uh, as a covenant community. And we pray with expectancy and great hope because you're so gracious to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated, guys. Good morning. It's good to be able to have another week to talk about Jesus with uh, the family. We are studying Acts. If you are new, uh, we study books of the Bible in our, in our covenant community, uh, taking little breaks with some topical things, but this is our bread and butter. This is what we love to do so that we can have the whole council of the scriptures. If you need a Bible, there are people handing out Bibles right now. Again, we continue to encourage you to bring your Bible, and if you do not have a Bible, uh, use one of our Bibles. We would love that. And if you would like to have a Bible at your home and, you, and there's some uh, 
issues in which you can't have one, we would love to help toward that end. We want people to have the scriptures, to be learning how to dive into the text, and to be uh, making themselves conversant with the Bible. So um, please uh, find yourself wanting to go toward that end. Uh, We're in uh, the book of Acts. I want to encourage you, if you have questions, to go ahead and make them known as we are chopping it up and talking about Jesus. We just want to encourage you to make sure, if you can, that they encourage the whole covenant community. Um, if there's something specifically you want to uh, talk, talk through, you can let me know, and then we can talk about it after service. But we just want you to know that is welcomed here to get into, uh, to ask some questions as we are continually trying to just, as a community, come to grips with what does it mean to do life um, as a Jesus follower, as a lover of Jesus. So I encourage you toward that end. Book of Acts, guys, will be here for some time. We have been here for a few weeks now. We are in chapter 2. Some cool things have happened. Uh, We're hoping uh, right now that we're all convinced, man, uh, that Jesus is awesome, that he's great, uh, that he... He, at this point, has uh, fulfilled uh, an, an awesome promise to, uh, to make all things new. Uh, we, we've talked about uh, the book of Acts being part, basically part two of a, of a one big book, uh, Luke and Acts. Uh, we talked about the author being Luke trying to convince a very prominent Greek dude named Theophilus uh, that no matter what happens, you want to walk with Jesus. You want to be with Jesus because he's the best, he's real, and he is king, uh, and he's the sacrificial uh, lamb for the sin of the world. Uh, and so then he goes on uh, we, by sharing his life, living a perfect life, uh, dying for the sins of the world uh, in Luke. Then he rises from the dead, and then you have this interim part uh, between the end of Luke and also the beginning of Acts, which is all happening at the same time, uh, where we see Jesus rise from the dead, uh, revealing himself to those who are following him, and saying, hey, I know you're excited now because you see me. You realize that this wasn't just a hobby, but that actually uh, what I said to you uh, is real, that I died, but also I have risen from the dead. And these guys got really excited. They're like, now it's on. We're going to take over. We're going to do what we said we're going to do. And he tells them, he says, well, hold on. I want you to wait. Uh, because the second thing I'm hoping you're extremely encouraged about uh, is that he says, I, I have power from on high that basically I want to give to you. That you can't accomplish the mission I have uh, for you in yourself, in your flesh. But you need to have the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus does is he gives us the greatest gift ever, right? He gives us himself. He gives us God himself. He says, not just partially, but the same Holy Spirit that rose me from the dead, I am going to place in you. And he will be with you, but not just with you, but the scriptures say, and he will be in you. So this is, this is how now we, on this age, after the resurrection, we live life as Christians who have very God himself dwelling in us. Right. And so we are now natural and supernatural beings at the same time in a sense that we now have access to the supernatural work of the Lord. And so we talked about that uh, during the last couple of sermons on what happened with these guys as, as they were waiting, realizing that, man, Jesus says we're going to kind of be like him and be able to do what he does. And, okay, and he, they get this theological training. Uh, then they have this experience where uh, basically they hear wind. Uh, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, the evidence of that, they begin to speak in uh, other languages and tongues. Uh, people come out saying, what are you, what's going on? They come over, they, they hear the sound. They're wondering what's going on. They see these guys speaking in their language. They see guys who are uneducated. They haven't gone to school, but yet they're linguists now all of a sudden. And they're saying, how in the world is this happening? And then Peter steps up and says, let me tell you something. This is tripping me out too, right? 
Peter says, I, I, I'm blown away. And Peter doesn't even know what he's saying because he's saying, guess what God is saying? He talks about uh, the book of Joel. And he says, God promised this. He says, well, he's going to pour his spirit out on all flesh. And I propose to you that P- Peter didn't even know what he was saying there because by saying that he was indicting himself in being one of the agents of change who was saying that the whole world, that Jesus is not just Israel's God, but he's the God of the whole world because he created the whole world. Even Peter didn't know he was saying that, though. And so we see the supernatural uh, power happen to all these people, these Jews, because God is trying to prepare these Jews to understand that now the spirit of God is being poured out to all socioeconomic groups, all races, all different kind of peoples, women, men, servants, it says in the scriptures. Because God is trying to accomplish a supernatural plan. And that is to bring his mission uh, to bear. That is to see worshipers begin to grow in a kingdom from all different nations so that he might be exalted on this earth. So now we enter into uh, this passage right here. He tells them, hey, this is what's happened. It's going to be crazy. He goes to Joel. He talks about the the spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh, but also there's going to be all kind of crazy signs that's going to scare you, and it's going to be, you know, God is going to culminate these things by judgment, and obviously everyone's going, oh my goodness. And he says, but listen, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Calm down. You need to be worried if you don't have Jesus. But he says, hey, there's a way you cannot be worried. And now he goes and explains what he means by that. All right? And so this is where we're at today. So, everyone, so imagine this, guys. Put on your first century Jew hats, right? You say, you're, you're sitting there. you got the glasses on. You're, you're watching. All these guys are getting nervous, right? Because they're going, okay, so what's going to happen? He, he talks about these judgments. He talks about what's happened, why, why the Spirit has come, and why they, they he hear all these people speaking in languages. And he tells them, hey, those who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. And they're going, what, what? What are you, what are you talking about? And it's all these people. And then he begins to share these passages here. Right, which is uh, very important as we enter in, because here's what he's going to, here's, I would say, his thesis. He is going to be continually asking these guys, who do you agree with? Who do you agree with? And I love what he does here, because in my mind, I would think he would say, do you agree with me, right, or do you agree with yourself? But he doesn't. His whole focus in this passage, guys, is do you agree with God? He puts the whole focus not on himself, but he puts the whole focus on what God says about the scenario. Let me, let's process the passage and see what he says. He starts off in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Remember, so those who call the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, let me exposit that. Let me, let me blow that up a little more. He's trying to, he's trying to sift through the religious people. The haters and those who are serious about understanding what does it mean to have true life, right? Kind of what we're doing here in our neighborhood, right? That's what we do as we neighbor, right? We don't know who's going to come to Jesus, but we will make the gospel really clear so those who really want a Savior can have him. It says, here are these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, we got to stop right there. Look what this brother did. He starts off by blaming everybody for Jesus' death, right? And can you imagine? I mean, for me, 
I would be like, I mean, remember, these guys came from Babylon, they came from Assyria, they came from Persia, all over because they came during this very this important festival. And so now you come, you, you've heard about some stuff, and maybe you even haven't heard about some things. But all of a sudden, this brother's saying, hey, you killed Jesus. Now, my reaction would be like, man, look, watch your mouth, man, I ain't killed nobody. Right? He, he says it again in verse 36. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So, so what's, why is he blaming everybody? Right? How could, how could you and I be blamed for Jesus' death? What is he doing here? This is a, I want to pause here because this is kind of an uh, academic doctrinal issue, but I want us to get this as a covenant community as we're doing life in the, as neighbors, okay? This is uh, the issue of, of talking about man's responsibility, right, and God's sovereignty. Here's what's going on here. He's, he's, he's basically trying to help us understand in this text here that there's a sense of God's, God's sovereignty over everything, that God is the ruler and he controls everything, while at the very same time, you and I are responsible for our sin. If you can write this address down, Luke 22, I think is a really cool passage, okay? It's a passage where, just to give you an example of this, uh, you, you probably remember this. If, you, if, you don't, if you're not, like, been in the Bible enough, I'm going to share the story real quick. In Luke 22, what's happening is, is they're, they're, they're sitting at the table, right? This is the Last Supper. And I'll give you an example of man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. And then Jesus says, hey, uh, he, he grabs the hand. Well, you don't know if he's grabbing his hand, but he says, whoever touches the bread, he's the one who's going to betray me. All right. And he basically tells uh, Judas, hey, you go ahead and do what you need to do fast, okay? Because all these things must be fulfilled for the Son of Man to be glorified, right? So you're thinking, wow, okay, man, well, you got, I guess, man, sorry, you got that part in the play, bro. I guess you got to go ahead and betray the Savior of the world. My fault, man. So you have to betray, right, Jesus. He does that. But then he says to everyone, and woe to him who betrays the Son of Man. What in the world is going on there? How, do you, how, does, how does the Father say, hey, I have this in my divine plan. I've already, I've already created this. I knew this was going to happen so that I might be exalted. Why, at the very same time, he says, and it's your fault, Judas, and you will pay dearly for it. It's called, in theological circles, a divine paradox. And guys, I want to be very clear here. I don't really know how to explain it. I don't understand how to explain God's sovereignty, that he's, he's over all things, but well, at the very same time, he's saying that you and I are directly responsible for our sin, but we're not responsible for God's plans. I don't know how to explain that, but what I can tell you is that we have to come to grips with this theological truth because they both exist in Scripture. Right? And so that's what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, guys, guess what? Now, how you say, well, but they didn't, they didn't murder him. He's not talking here. Well, what's the responsibility? He's not talking about the physical murder necessarily. All right? What, how, how did they crucify? How, what was the biggest sin? See, in, in killing Jesus, it wasn't about the physical murder. It was in killing Jesus, they denied God. That, that's the, that was, I mean, it's, 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 it's messed up to kill somebody for sure. But, but in, God's, in God's eyes, it was like, no, when you killed Jesus, what you were saying was you were saying you don't agree with God. That's the sin that can never be, right, that's the one that can never be forgiven. 
the unforgivable sin that you ever heard about, right? His whole point there is not that there's something you do and Jesus will never forgive you. His point is that, you know, the sin that God says, I'm going to have to punish you for eternity in hell is when you deny my son, Jesus. You deny Jesus. I have no help for you because he is my only propitiation for your sin. And so when we kill the Savior, he says, you, when you murdered, when you did this, what you did was you, you said, I, I disagree with you, Father. He's not the Lord. He's not the Savior. So that's why they get blamed, right? They get blamed because all of us have denied God. All of us, that's why we all have the blame. That's why all of us have Jesus' blood on our hands because we've all, at some point, because we were all born in sin, we've all at some point said, no, I say no to Jesus. Oh, totally. So, so Josh is saying, so if that's the unforgivable sin, if we all have done that and it's unforgivable, then how are we forgiven? Well, it's unforgivable if you're not forgiven. In the sense that only, right, is that God is saying all these other things, right? Okay, you know, you lie or a little white lie. But with Jesus, if you don't deal with Jesus, if you don't deal with the fact that Jesus is your king, then you will spend eternity apart from God. And so that's unforgivable in the sense that you cannot enter into the kingdom of God without saying yes to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Not in the sense of how we think about it. Like, and I've had, we had a friend who really struggled with this, a dear friend of ours. He, before he became a Christian, he, uh, you know, denied Jesus. Like, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't, I, you know, he just kind of like, just, you know, just overtly was just saying all these horrible things about Jesus. And then God saved him by God's grace. And, man, he would have these bouts where he was like, but no, I don't know if I'm really a Christian because way back four years ago, I said these horrible things about Jesus. So I'm never going to be forgiven. But see, he, his focus, may I, may I dare say, and that's the, whole, that's the whole point of the gospel, his focus was on what he did, not on what Jesus did. See, Jesus' point is, yeah, you, you, des- you deserve hell and you're heading to hell and there's nothing that can save you but me. That's, that's Jesus' point. And so anyone in this room right now, if you felt like, man, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't, I've done this thing. Refute those evils. Refute those lies. Put your trust in Christ. The focus is who you put your trust in, not on what you've done. And that's his point here. Let me continue on. Good question, though, Josh. Thanks, buddy. Ethan? Perfect. So, so Ethan is saying, so are you saying basically there's an umbrella piece here that you first, when you start with Jesus as the focus, is that now you lie to your grandmother about your test scores, all that, you know, all that's covered kind of deal. And so that's the thing, is that apart from Jesus, everything else you're doing is moral compassing. That's the whole point. So it's like you can, you can stop lying, you can stop cussing, you can be nice to the people, right? You cannot cheat on your girlfriend. And... And still go to hell because you didn't deal with your sin. You're dead in sin and you have to deal with Christ. Right? 
And, so, and, that's, and, that's, and I want to propose that's his point in this passage. He's going to get these guys apart from their religiosity, a part of their devotion to, to, to God, and make them have to come to grips with what have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? Right? John 16 is, a, is a, in I think, verse 8 is a good uh, passage where he talks about, you can look at that John 16 where he talks about this whole sense of, of uh, the, uh, the greatest sin. So just for your own, your own file, your own records. So Peter's setting him up, right? What do you think about Jesus, right? And he shows us what the father thinks. So he sets him up. He says this. He says, you killed Jesus. He's just starting stuff. Now, which I think is hilarious because I love that he, he starts his gospel presentation off, right, with, there's like, look what you did to Jesus. Now, if we did that today, I'd probably get in trouble, right? Right? Y'all say, I'm mean, and why are you not gracious? Let's see. Now I got ammo. I can do this, Ashley. I'm just kidding. So he starts it off by saying, look what you did to Jesus. And look what he does. He, he continues to ask the question, what does God say about Jesus? He starts off by saying, um, he affir- first, he affirms Jesus. Here's what Je- he says. God affirms Jesus by signs and wonders, right? See toward the middle of verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God. And look what he does here. I'm going to explain this word attested, Okay. This word attested is a, is a very loaded word before we can continue. He uses this word in, um, uh, or attested, affirmed, um, proved, uh, depending on what kind of version you have. Very important word because he's saying this is what God did, right? Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God. Okay, so we've got to understand what he's saying. Attested to you by God. This is what God, God put a stamp on him. 1 Corinthians verse uh, 9 and chapter 4 uh, says, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, uh, and to men. So we see first uh, the word uh, is used in the sense of display, right? So we could say, Jesus of Nazareth, a man displayed to you by God, right? That God puts him on display, Okay, um, it also could mean like in Acts 25 in verse 7 to prove something, to bring evidence to prove something. In verse, it says in verse 7, when he had arrived, the Jews had come down from Jerusalem, stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Right. So it's a sense of like that, that basically the father, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who's proved to you by God, right? That God has proved himself by sending Jesus. And there's, there's two or three other ways he uses it in the scriptures. But I want to convince you that this word is a loaded term because he's trying to say to these Jews, let me tell you something. God is affirming this dude. The father, Yahweh, is affirming him. Which I love the way he says it here. Look what he says. I love the fact um, that this also show, shows that he did not cheat. What I mean by that is this, guys, and don't miss this. So he says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. You hear that? Here's, here's what we don't, like to, we don't like to wrestle with. Jesus, it says in Philippians, although he, he counted equality with God, right? He says, he says I, did not have to, I did not have to grasp at equality with God because I possessed it. That's Jesus, right? But he says, but what I did was I humbled myself. See, the thing that blows me away about the gospel is Jesus didn't cheat. I would have cheated. He didn't, he didn't go, man, I'm really hungry. You know, did the God thing and filled, him, filled his belly up or something, right? He didn't do that, right? Right? We, I mean, he, he, didn't just, he didn't just go, okay, 
I want to know what that dude's thinking. And because, yeah, I do know everything. Mm, he, didn't, he didn't do those things. But, we, but don't we really think he did that? Don't we go around and we think, okay, yeah, it was easy for you, God, to live on earth because you God. Right? You think, come on, man. You, you, you playing me, Jesus. You're talking all this stuff in the scriptures. You God, man. You knew you, what you was going to do. You knew you was the man. Of course, you can sit around and people dog you out because you know you're going to be the man pretty soon. That's how we think. Or maybe that's how I think. Here's what Jesus is saying through the scriptures. When you see this, this is called divine passive. When God is doing something through someone. His point here is Jesus is modeling to you and me, and this, this gets me excited, that you and I can yield to the spirit just like Jesus. Do we believe that? Do you believe you can yield to the Holy Spirit to the point where God just blesses you and gives you the grace to yield to the Holy Spirit where no, you're not, you're not giving way to sexual sin. You're not giving way to bitterness and jealousy where you're able to walk and you're able to trust God for miracles where you're able to see the supernatural power of God happen through you, not for your glory, but for the Father's glory. Jesus is proclaiming to you that he lived a life, was born, and that literally he yielded to the Spirit. That literally he had to pray. That's why he went and he labored in prayer when he chose his disciples. He's God. He didn't have to do that. He created the disciples. Do you see what he's trying to do for us? I talk about this a lot in our local body. The retelling, the recapitulation of God's story. That's what he does. He's retelling the story so that we can retell his story. This is not, this is not by mistake, guys. He's really trying to show you, I'm going to live a life where I constantly yield to the Spirit. Where I say yes to the Father. That's what he says. What, what do you mean, show you, the, show you the Father? You see me, right? I'm yielding. I'm, I'm showing you what it means to, to trust Jesus, to trust the Father. I just want us to see that. So even when you see this divine passive here, I'm laboring on this. This is a huge point. He's trying to show you and me, this is what Jesus did. Why do you think he was nervous when he knew he was about to get mutilated the next day? When he was about to get murdered. Remember, he was nervous. And he prayed. He was a man who said, Lord, man, all right, I want to believe the Lord. This is This is hard. And he prayed. And he sought the Lord. He said, pray with me, guys. I'm struggling. Our Savior did that as a model. We look at Jesus and we go, all right, you are other. That's true. But we look at it and we almost don't even, we don't even contemplate if we can do anything like that. We just go, why are we even talking about Jesus? That's Jesus and I'm here. And I want to propose he's other, he's our king, he's matchless, he's the one to be worshipped. But I want to propose, without getting sacrilegious or heretical, that God is saying, one of the things I was doing was modeling to you. What does it mean to yield to the Father? What would happen if we believed that? What would happen if the Holy Spirit gave us the grace to believe that? So, he didn't cheat. And, 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 and the father's point in this passage, he's saying, when he says, I attested, I approved, he's saying, I'm validating to you that that's my boy. That's what he's saying. So he starts off by telling the Jews, the first thing I did was I did miracles through him and I did wonders through him to validate that he is my boy. Then he says, well, what else does God say about Jesus? He affirms Jesus by his death, right, for sinners. Verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You see that? 
right? I love this. I love the fact, and it's cool, guys. I love the fact that God is so awesome that God is saying, even when, when, I, when I kill Jesus, we think of killing Jesus as dishonor. The Father sees it as honorable. You see that? The Father sees it as honorable. He, why, why do I say that? Because when he killed Jesus, that's how, that's how God was glorified. That's how Jesus was glorified, saving the world from his sin, right? He doesn't see it as dishonorable. In fact, he sees it as super honorable because guess what? Like, we all can die in this room right now, and no one's sin gets paid for. Right? A bunch of, just a bunch of dead people. Right? You'd be like, well, I, I thought it would work. Who else can I kill? Right? Well, God, right, by even killing Jesus, Jesus, it shows his glory. It shows his honor. Because in killing Christ, he saved the world. See, see that, that, that's awesome. Jesus' death determines his worth, not lack of it. You hear me there? It determines his worth because he, he, he saved all creation. So, so what God says, he says, I'm affirming Jesus by the miracles. I'm affirming Jesus by his death to sinners. And then he's, he, he's kind of asking as he does this, and he's asking this to each one of us. He's saying each time, so what do you think about Jesus? Do you agree with the Father? He said, do you agree with the Father? Can you imagine these, these Jews hitting? He's sharing this with these Jews. They're just kind of standing there like, look at how he's talking. And remember, this Peter now. Peter who ran, he's not just preaching the gospel. He's talking about, and you killed him. It's the same Peter that ran. I'm just, I'm just blown away. The third thing he does, what, is, what does God say about Jesus? He says, hey, guys, let me tell you another thing that God says about Jesus. He says, he affirms Jesus by his death. He affirms Jesus by his resurrection. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Notice that contrast. You like that? See what he says? He says, hey, <laughs> you killed him. God raised him up. Isn't that interesting? I love how God gets all the glory for the good stuff, right? God raised him up. You killed him. He continues to affirm. He says, uh, he shows this by, by, by giving us a passage from David, right? Uh, to show you, he's, he's bringing these Jews. He says, well, let me bring a little Old Testament in here for you, just so you can see how, how, how Jesus has been affirmed by the resurrection. Look what he reads in verse in verse 25, it says, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also uh, would dwell in hope because of this Savior. Verse 27, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the passive life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet. Right? He says, he says, David said this, and David did. So David was a prophet. You see what he's saying there? He said, David wasn't just talking about some homie that was just hanging out with him. Right? He's like, because, you know, at first David probably said that, and I was like, well, that's cool, David. And they're like looking around like, who is David talking about? He says, okay, well, let me tell you. David did, but this happened. So it says it happened right here. He says, and knowing that God has sworn with an oak to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. He said, oh, that's who he's talking about. 
That's, who, that's the one who didn't see corruption. That's the one who rose from the dead. See, here's the thing about this text that, that the Jews have to, are coming to grips with. He's saying, man, it's bad that y'all killed a dude, but guess what? Y'all, y'all killed God. That's his point. This, the dude you killed rose from the dead. Oops. Now, here's the thing that we have to really wrestle with in our community as we do life. A lot of times we think the test of being anti-God, um, you know, people, people can say they believe, they, they believe Jesus. Uh, you can be kind, you can agree with Jesus, right? Because people agree with Jesus a lot on the love components, on the, on the Savior components, right? You can do all that, but, but here's what I love about what, what, what Peter's doing is he's hitting him right at the heart because he's saying to be pro-God is not about you choosing what you really affirm about Jesus. It's about you agreeing with the Father and what he says about Jesus. And now that's a whole new ball game because now the only way you're going to know that is by you knowing your Bible and then affirming what the Father says in the Bible without bias. And so the question he brings to these guys that we got to ask ourselves at some levels is, what do you do with God's endorsement of Jesus? What do you do when, when God says, hey, I'm serious about sin, right, and depravity, and that you're all evil, and, and that you, without Jesus, you, you go to hell. And there's nothing else that can save you, no matter how good you are. That, that you need Christ because you're in decay. Do you agree with that? Do we agree with those things? These are the things he brings us to grips with. What do we do with God's view of sin? With Jesus being a sole removal of it? What do we do about Jesus raising from, rising from the dead? He would say, if we, if we disagree with Jesus in reference to what God says about Jesus, he says, no matter what you think, you're anti-God. Do we struggle with this? How you minister in our community? How does this help you minister in our community? All throughout our culture, people find ways and parts that they agree with Christ. And we find ourselves arguing and almost like, I, what I love about Peter He's like, I'm not about to argue with you about my preference and my hot spots. What does God say about Jesus? Do you agree with God? I wonder if, if our, our framework, we need to be making sure we're, we're what is God saying? And not, no, 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 but this, this, is, this is what I think. What does God say? He continues to make his case, guys. Look what he says here. He affirms in verse 32, right? He affirms Jesus through his exaltation, right? It says, this Jesus God raised up and of all that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is his next thing, right? So he tells us, hey, I'm affirming Jesus. Why? Because I, ro- I exalted him. He rose from the dead, right? But then I exalted him. I said, that, that guy who rose from the dead, actually, he's the Lord and Savior of all creation. And then he goes on to say, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
Right. And so here is Jesus. He receives this Holy Spirit. And then the scriptures say, and he now is kind of the, the outpour of the Holy Spirit. You see that? He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Love that part. You don't miss that. You see what he said there? I love how he says almost basically the only reason y'all here in the first century listen to me right now is because Jesus is gracious to allow you to be here. He says, right? He says, y'all here, he has poured out that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, that you can actually, don't miss that. You know, when you hear that seeing and hearing, what should you do there? You should probably go back to the Gospels where he always says things like, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who can see, let him see. Right? His point there is, I'm giving you grace right now in even being here. Right? Is God working in my life? Are you here? Right? You ain't dead yet. Right? I mean, this is, this is serious business, right? And he says, but he himself says, um, I'm sorry, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And look what he does there. He quotes Psalm 110, right? He quotes Psalm 110. I love the way he does it. You get the whole sense? The Lord, right? He does that. And he keeps going back. Why do you do that? Cultural context, right? Christ and culture. You want to minister to these first century Jews, you better talk about the Old Testament sometime. Right? And so he says, hey, you, you remember this passage? The Lord, Yahweh, right, right, said to my Lord, Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool, your footstool. Right? Now, what's this point here? This gets scary. Imagine the Jews, because he's trying to bring them to a point. He's bringing them to a point. He's saying, so I want you to get something. He died on the cross because he's a lover. He's the lover of our souls, and he's saved us of our sins. And so we see that through his death, his sacrificial death. And then we even see that through his resurrection. But there's something that happened that kind of freaks me out as a first century Jew when the Father then says, that Lord in Christ, that Savior, he is the Lord of the universe. So, uh uh-oh, I'm sorry, he's not just Savior, he's the King. So now we got to do something with that. That's what he's doing. He's bringing them to a point that, guess what? I know you like the fact that now you have an opportunity to experience eternity with Yahweh. I know that you love the fact that he washed us clean because of his love, for the great love for which he loved us, the scripture says. He says, but guess what? In him doing those things, what the Father is saying is that I've also exalted him as the Lord of Most High. So actually, your Savior is king. And that's scary. Because it's like, uh-oh, well, so he's the lover of my soul, but he's also the ruler of the world, which means that means that means something about my life. Do you see that? You see what he's doing to these guys? He's bringing them to a point. So now they got to say, oh, it's scary because if I reject the lover of my soul, I'm also rejecting the Lord of the world who runs everything. What does God say about Jesus? You see that? He says, man, I'm affirming this guy. He's my boy. Wanders in signs. Through his death, I murdered him for you. He's the lover of your soul. But then I rose him to prove to you he's my boy. Then I exalted him, the Lord most high. And then he asked a question. Man, can you imagine being there? The whole crowd, man. I'm just blown away they didn't beat him down. He's saying all this. But you know why? Because God's spirit was moving. 
they had to they had to process is, is this true? What is this is heavy? What is going? What is he? Is that true? Is what well, he went to? He went to someone like, Can you imagine? The whole world is rock, guys. And he says at the end, guess what? He says, choose a side. What does God say about Jesus? He says something huge here. He says, choose a side. Look what he says in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him. See my point, See my point here? So he says all that, and he just makes it really plain for, for the whole group. He says, so if all that's true, then what, the, what I want all y'all to know up in here, my Jewish brothers and sisters, he's saying to them, you're in the mindset of a first century Jew. He says, that know for certain that God, Yahweh, the one you've been worshiping for thousands of years, has made him, the Jesus that you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Both Lord and Christ. And his point is like, man, to not deal with, with Jesus um, is to destroy every area of your life. That's the whole point. He's, he's looking at these guys, he's saying to not deal with Christ is uh, to just implode. You, it just means that you've wasted your whole life. He says, his point is like, hey, if you're, he's kind of, if you're spitting in the face of your lover, of your soul, guess who you're spitting in the face of? Your ruler. That's his point. And he's just saying, hey, do you agree with God? He's saying, at the end of all that, so who do you agree with? That's his point. Who, who do you agree with? You go, oh, I, I, yeah, I, you know, I agree with God, right? One of, my, one of my good friends was like, yeah, you know, you can ask that question. Everybody in here might go, yeah, I agree with God. But see, he, he doesn't make it that easy. I hope you don't fool yourself. Because what he wants us to see, he wants us to ask ourselves some questions. He wants us to ask ourselves, so uh, what does it look like? Man, some of us, man, we probably really get caught up in trusting Jesus as just our Lord. Right? And he, he's saying, I, I want to make sure that you have a balanced gospel, Jews, he's saying to these guys. And he's saying to us today, do you have a balanced gospel? Do you have a true biblical-centric gospel where, where God is saying he is the Lord of all creation? He is the king. The scriptures are very clear, right? That, that Jesus died to set himself apart and say, I have created all things. I'm your Lord. And some of us, we love the lordship component, right? And we don't talk to be, g- people about, man, he's your lamb. He died because he loves you, Right? Remember, he, it's not about I'm king and I do what I say, but he's a gracious, patient, loving, awesome Lord. Some of us, we're, we love that patient, awesome, loving, gracious Savior. And we reject the notion that he has any say on my life. We say, no, he died for me. He paid for my sins. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And now I get to do my own thing because, hey, he's gracious. And what Peter does so well is he provides a clear gospel for us to say, no, he is, as the scriptures say, he created the world out of the abundance of love. He is a gracious savior. He died for us. He took those 
who were his enemies and made them his friends because he's gracious. And they make, oh, amen, praise the Lord. And then, at the very same time, he had to deal with sin because he's God, because he is a powerful, awesome, reigning king. And he has destroyed evil. And he has destroyed Satan. And he destroys sin. And he's destroying death. And he's coming to take over. All that at the same time. All that at the same time. So guys, I, I want us to ask ourselves, how do we present Jesus to others? How do we proclaim the gospel? Do you proclaim the full gospel to people? Or do you proclaim the gospel that's more palatable to different people? I want to ask, how do you believe the gospel? What are you believing about Jesus? Do you agree with God? Now, let me ask something that I would not have had to ask probably in the first century as much because they would have understood the word belief. But do you live in light of the gospel? Do you live in light of what Jesus is called to be by Yahweh? Both Lord and Savior. Do you live your life in that way? I want to propose that's what we're about. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're neighboring here. That's why we're trying to be in covenant community. That's why we are training people. That's why we have a discipleship binder. And the whole thing, the vision of the binder is what does it look like for you to know Jesus and then live in light of the gospel, right? That's our whole point, is that we're saying that we want to recognize him as our Savior and Lord. Okay, next week we'll talk about their response. He He basically told them, hey, here's what's up. Right? We'll look at the response next week. Here's what I want to do, guys. I want to encourage you to think about those things. Wrestle with them in your own um, spaces. Wrestle with them in Matt group. Be encouraged. He's our Savior and Lord. And I want to ask you to continue to ask the Lord to allow us as covenant community members to be inviters. Make the gospel known to your community. Make the gospel known to your neighbors. All right? Let me pray for us. And then what we're going to do is we're going to do a, a tithe and offering, and we're going to do a communion. Lord, I thank you so much that you are our Savior and Lord. Thank you for being affirmed by the Father and for giving us the grace to, to agree with him. I pray we would be agreeing with you, Lord, uh, that you have risen, you have died for our sins. Lord, that you are filled with the Spirit of God. Lord, that you are both Lord and Savior. We love you, Jesus. We pray that you would allow that expression to be clear in our belief system and how we live life and how we proclaim you. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.